Welcome to the Transformation Church Podcast, where we're leading people into a transforming relationship with Jesus. We hope this message inspires you, builds your faith, and gives you a fresh perspective on God and His Word so you can see transformation in your own life. Enjoy the message. Good morning, good morning. Hope everybody had a great week and uh, welcome to the final week of our message series. It's been five weeks called All the Things. If uh, you're new today, it's your first time, welcome home. Uh, my name is Ryan. I have the honor of serving here as lead pastor. And uh, for those of you that have been kind of around here for a little bit, uh, and in case this is your first time and you don't know, a little bit about me, kind of my story is that when I was uh, 20 years old, college student, um, is when I came to know Christ as my Lord and Savior. I didn't grow up in church, wasn't around church a whole lot. Um, had my own kind of journey through college and, and the frat life and all that kind of stuff. Um, and then God got a hold of my heart. And uh, what you don't know, though, is that six months later, after that encounter with God, that I almost walked away from my relationship with Jesus. You see, what happened was, is I'd come to know the Lord and um, got an opportunity to be able to travel with uh, a ministry team that was going all over the southeastern United States doing youth camps. And uh, we would do these large um, kind of mega church style uh, youth camps with hundreds and hundreds of students. And uh, it was an amazing time as we would travel all over. We had this big old, does anybody remember the old Mach 3 conversion vans? You know, it had the captain's chairs in the back that you could like spin around. And that was back in the day when you could like take a road trip as a family and people could sleep in the back and not have a seatbelt on, right? You wouldn't get in trouble. And um, we'd all pile into, uh, into that van and we would drive from youth camp to youth camp. And, um, you know, I wish I could say that I was the preacher, but I was not the preacher, and as you probably know, I was definitely not the worship leader. Um, I wasn't the sound guy. I was what's called, and this is really gonna date me a little bit, I was the overhead projector guy. Anybody remember the overhead projector? Like half of this room has no idea what I'm talking about, but, but my job, and this is how like, I mean, think of this, like we called this advanced technology back in the day, but my job was to have, we had this overhead projector and I would stand behind the screens at the camp. So we'd have a big screen like that and I would be way back in the shadows where nobody could see me. And I had this overhead projector that was shining up on the screen and I had to change all of the words right on the overhead projector so that everybody else can engage in worship and um, we were really cutting edge like if you wanted moving backgrounds you would take like a bowl of like of colored liquid and you would put the um, you would put the, the um, words on the overhead projector and then you would kind of stir the, the the liquid in front of it and it would give you like this move. Um, I'm talking old school technology and um, I came across because I knew half of the room in here would have no idea what I'm talking about. I came across the video that was so funny that I had to show it today. It has nothing to do with today's message, um, but it is hilarious. And so everybody in the room that's like, I don't know, 30-ish, 35-ish, 35-ish and under, right? 
This is for you. Take a look. There's a lot of great new choruses out there that are not in your hymnal, and using an overhead projector in your worship ministry is a great way to expand the song library and keep things new and fresh. Here's a couple of tips to make your overhead projector ministry shine. Hey, it's Dave Dalton from the online website, www.practicalworshiplog, all one word, no spaces, dot com. All you need to do is get on your computer, log on to the World Wide Web, and 24 hours a day, seven days a week, we share tips and ideas and practical advice for the everyday worship leader. So when you're using an overhead projector in your worship ministry, there's a couple of things you want to have on hand at all times. The first thing is a Sharpie, because sometimes the lettering on these transparencies will flake off and you might not notice it until right before you need it and there's not enough time to make a new copy. You can take the Sharpie, fill in that missing letter, or that missing word, right before you need it and you're good to go. Also have a good cloth and some cleaner nearby. Finger smudges are gonna happen no matter how careful you are, but if you keep your cleaning supplies really close by, it'll always keep your ministry clean and professional. And finally, I like to use a ruler. In fact, I tape it to the side of the machine so that when you are switching out the lyrics, you can line that up and the lyrics are straight every single time. Now, when you are running an overhead projector, you need to be ready for anything. And so organization is gonna be key to that. We like to keep all of our songs in this file folder. Now you can use a three ring binder, uh, but if you do use a binder, I recommend that you put a piece of paper in between all the transparencies. Otherwise, if that binder gets too close to the heat of the projector, you're going to fuse those transparencies together, and then you got to do both songs at the same time. I don't know. But we keep all of our songs alphabetized in this file folder. Now, we do put all like the heavy rotation songs like Shine, Jesus, Shine, and Lord, I Lift Your Name on High. We keep those here at the front, really accessible. And then also... Those boom-chink medley songs like uh, Jehovah Jireh and I Will Celebrate and Blow the Trumpet in Zion, we keep all those together here in the back because it seems like every weekend that we do one of those medleys, there's always one song that the worship leader throws in that we did not practice. Now, a couple of ways to keep things professional. If you're the one running the overhead projector, I recommend the night before that you clip your fingernails because if you're the one up there on a Sunday morning that's switching out the song, your hands are up there for everyone to see. And so we want to make sure that our hands are well manicured to eliminate distractions. Also, you can use a piece of paper to cover up some of the words so you can focus on the section that you are singing, but it's not a necessity. And finally, if you need to make a copy, maybe as a backup or for the youth ministry, it's really important that you examine your slide carefully. If not, and you miss a finger smudge, it'll be there forever. <laughs> I, that, what a tip. I never knew that I should have trimmed my fingernails before we uh, did that. I was the overhead projector guy. And those of you that are young, that was cutting edge back in the day right there. But I was the overhead projector guy and we would travel all over the place and do youth camps. And, and the youth camps, when we'd go in, we did, you know, all the worship, the preaching, we did all the video production. So we had all this gear that would come in and we'd kind of walk around during the day and engage with the students and take video and, and, and edit video and all that kind of stuff. And, um, uh, it was a blast, like had a great, great time, just the energy of being around all of these students and, and putting on these services. But um, it wasn't just a blast, it was exhausting. I mean, we did two services every single day, five days a week. We would come loading in on Monday morning, setting everything up, starting to have services. And then at the end of the week, we would have to load everything back up and we would travel um, oftentimes several states 
uh, to the next camp, and then we would do it all over again. And I did this, which doesn't seem like a long, long time, but, but I did this for that summer for six weeks. And what's interesting about kind of my experience with that is that, is that I was surrounded by a lot of godly people. I was in church 10 times a week. I was doing work for God. But hear me, I wasn't spending time with God. Like I was doing a lot of stuff, a lot of good stuff, but I wasn't spending time with God. Like it started off strong, but then the, the, the more invested I was and the more time that went by, the more exhausted I got, the less and less time that I ended up spending with God. And it eventually led me to a park bench in Atlanta with a 12 case of beer on the bench contemplating whether or not I wanted to do this anymore. And I don't know what you're carrying when you came in. I don't know where you are in your life today. Maybe for you, you've been, you've been busy doing a lot, of, a lot of really good things. Or maybe for you, you've been busy doing a lot of even God things. But you find yourself exhausted and empty and just going through the motions. Friend, if that's you today, this message is for you. I've entitled today's message, not going through the motions, but growing through the motions. Hey, pray with me today as we prepare our hearts. If you're new here, just kind of say this out loud with us if you're comfortable. Father, as I open your word today, speak to me. May I have ears to hear, a heart to receive, and the courage to respond. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, grab your Bibles or smartphones, and we're going to head back to Haggai chapter 2. Haggai chapter 2, that's a few chapters before the New Testament starts. Um, and so we're going to be in Haggai chapter 2 today. Quick overview for those of you that have missed maybe a few weeks or maybe today's your first time. Um, what we see in the book of Haggai is that the people of Israel end up getting overthrown by Babylon. And when they get overthrown by Babylon, um, their community and their temple gets destroyed. Now, we've talked about how amazing this temple was, that it was, um, that it was equivalent, that most scholars say that it would cost a, around three to five billion dollars to replicate the temple that King Solomon had built. And so the temple gets devastated, the people of Israel get taken into captivity for 70 years, and then God decides that he wants to release, he wants to free the people of Israel with this mission in mind, to go back to their land and rebuild the temple. Now here's what happens when they get back home, they get distracted and they start focusing what the Bible says on their own luxurious houses. Now what's interesting about that that we talked about in the early weeks is that Focusing on their own homes, right, putting their family first wasn't necessarily a bad thing, but the priorities were out of order. And what we see in the story is that because of their dis disobedience, because they, they weren't making God's desire, his mission for their life a priority, that because of that disobedience, nothing they touched was blessed, 
Their crops were underproducing. They couldn't make ends meet. And so God uses that series, uh, a season of just kind of frustration to pull their hearts back to him. And so they, they repent, they go back to work at the temple, but then um, it doesn't take very long for them to, to grow discouraged. We talked about this as well a few weeks ago. They grew discouraged because the temple that they were rebuilding was nothing in comparison to the temple that Solomon had built. And in that discouragement, they quit again. And so in Haggai chapter two, we step in and we talked about how they come back to the temple and God just empowered, God gives them strength to be able to, to work. He empowers them to be able to do that. But in Haggai chapter two, finding them back at the temple working again, God gets frustrated with them again. And so let's look in verse 11 to see why God gets frustrated with the people of Israel. In verse 11, he says this, that this is what the Lord of heaven's armies says. Ask the priest this question about the law. Now, the next couple verses are going to get a little confusing, but I'll explain it here in a second. Here's, here's what they asked the priest. If one of you carrying some meat from a holy sacrifice in his robes, and in his robe happens to brush against some bread or stew, wine or olive oil, or any kind of food, will it also become holy? And the priest replied, no. Then Haggai asked, if someone becomes ceremonial unclean by touching a dead person and then touches any of these foods, will the food be defiled? And the priest answered, yes. You see, what was happening here is God was reminding the priest that the sin in our lives can be transferred from person to person, but holiness can't. It's kind of like, it's kind of like this, like, like I know that was a long time ago, and so that whole, all the Levitical law and stuff like that makes no sense to us, but it's kind of like this, like I've got this plate up here, and you can't really see it that well, but I got this like stinky spaghetti sauce that's up here, right? And basically what God is getting at is when I have clean hands and I touch the spaghetti sauce, this feels disgusting by the way on my finger. When I touch the spaghetti sauce, does the plate automatically get clean? And the answer is no, right? And what he's talking about is he's talking about holiness. He's talking about when something is holy, right? When, when it's dirty and then we're touching it with holy, this doesn't become holy. But then he says on the opposite, when you touch something that is dirty, that is unclean, your finger becomes dirty and unclean. And that was disgusting, but I did that all for you to try to help <laughs> communicate a point. And for the rest of the service, I got to smell this stuff up here and it's probably under my fingernail. So I sure hope that it helps you understand. <laughs> In other words, like holiness doesn't rub off, but sin does. Like, you know that scripture in 1 Corinthians 15, that bad company corrupts good character. And so why does, why does God feel the need to remind 
the priest of this Levitical law, it's because he was setting them up for this next statement in verse 14, where it says, then Haggai responded, that is how it is with this people and with this nation. Like just because they are touching what is holy, just because they are offering sacrifices, just because they are rebuilding the temple doesn't necessarily make them holy. He says everything that they do and everything that they offer is defiled by their sin. Like all the works that they're doing, everything that they are offering, the sacrifice that they are offering before the Lord, that it's, it's defiled because of their sin. It's tainted. It's not blessed. And the reason why God is pointing this out to the priest is because these people are going through the motions. Like God has empowered them to go back and to rebuild the temple. But in their mind, they're thinking like with every stone that I lay at the altar and, and every wall that I, can, I erect for the temple, that, that the more that I do that, the more that my life becomes pleasing to God. Although their heart is drifting far from him. And this is a story that's some 2,500 years old, but the same fatal flaw that the people of Israel had is the same fatal flaw you and I have. It's this, that we assume that because we are around the things of God, that we are in the will of God. That because we are around the things of God, of God, that we are in the will of God. Like, like, think about it for a second. How many of us, we live our life calling the shots while giving God very little input in the direction and the decisions that we make? We think that, now listen, we think that coming, this is a common, common problem in the world today. It's a human nature issue. That we think that we can, we can be around holy things, right? We can come to church, we can serve on a dream team, we can give a little bit in the offering, we can do good um, in the community with community service, and we feel like somehow this will make our selfishness, right? The selfishness of wanting what we want and living our life and us calling the shots in our life that for some reason we think that doing all of these things will make our selfishness more acceptable to God. And God is speaking through Haggai to these people and I think he's speaking to us today that it doesn't. Just because they're working on the temple, just because they're building walls, just because they're offering sacrifices doesn't necessarily make them holy. See, it doesn't matter what religious motions we go through, but if God doesn't have our heart, then he won't bless the work of our hands. And in Haggai, 
God was getting frustrated with the people of Israel, but not because they weren't doing things for him, but because they had given their lives, they had given their lives completely to him. Friend, maybe you find yourself today in a similar situation as the people of Israel. You are doing and you're doing and you're doing and you're doing for God and you're doing for God and you're doing for God so much that you are physically and emotionally and spiritually exhausting and just going through the motions. Friend, if that's you, I believe the Lord is saying to you what he spoke in Revelation chapter two. And I want you to to hear these words of the Lord speaking to you today. He said, I know all the things you do. Don't you find it interesting that this series is all the things and it's It's about seeking God first and his righteousness and he will add all the things to us. But isn't it interesting that that throughout scripture we see this common thread that if we choose to seek all the things, that it ends up leading us further and further away from God. He says, I know all the things that you do. I've seen your hard work and your patient endurance. I know you don't tolerate evil people. You've examined the claims of those who say that they are apostles but aren't. You've discovered that they're liars. You've patiently suffered for me without quitting. Like like it's not that you're not working hard and it's not that you don't have good intentions, right? But he says this, He says, I've got this one complaint against you. He says, you don't love me anymore. You don't love me. You don't love love each other as you did at first. And when I read that, like as you did at first, like my mind first goes to this, well, We're talking about the doing separated from the heart. What do you mean go back and do more? And what he's saying is, is do you remember? Do you remember that moment? Whether it was a church service or in a car or a loved one on the couch in the living room, do you remember the moment when God became real to you? Do you remember the moment when that hardened heart that you had from living life your way and doing things your way and and the sin in your life, do you remember that moment that God invaded your heart, that you fully surrendered to him and it just began to melt away and you sensed, you felt this like this peace, this aliveness inside of you that you've never felt before. Do you remember that? And God is saying, go back to that moment. Like push the pause button, like the doing is great, the doing is great, but if it keeps pulling you away from delighting in him, spending time with him, he says, go back to the beginning. And what did you do to cultivate 
your relationship with him. Like I remember for me that moment in 1997, I remember the moment. Remember my face all painted and 666 on my forehead. And I remember experiencing the presence. Some of you guys are like, holy moly, 666. (laughs) I remember, like, I'm telling you I was messed up. And I remember the moment that the presence of God invaded this 20-year-old frat guy that had all the parties at his house, that was selling drugs on campus. Like, I remember the moment when all of a sudden God became so real to me that I became so overwhelmed by his grace that he would still have enough love for me to reach down in my deepest, darkest pit and invite me into a relationship that would transform my life forever. And friend, when I think about like going back to that moment, I just, I can't, I remember what happened to me. I remember that, that I went back to my apartment and that was back with answering machines. How many people remember answering machines? Some of you guys are like, what is an answering machine? Overhead projectors and answering machines. And I remember going back and I remember, I remember just totally disconnecting from the world around me. I stayed in my apartment for two months. All I did was go to, go to class and go to church and come back to my apartment and read the Bible and pray. And I remember getting phone calls, like, when's the next party? Like, where are you at? And I wouldn't return any phone calls. I just, I could care less at that moment about everybody else. It was about me and God. And I made a commitment to God. Like, I'm not going to date anybody for a year. This is so cheesy. But I said, God, I'm going to date you. Like, And then years went by. God called me to ministry, started getting into ministry. And then guess what happened? Same thing that happens to most of us. Started doing things for God. But yet my heart started drifting from him. God is... I think speaking to some of us today who may have walked in, going through the motions and spiritually just exhausted and empty, he's saying, come back to your first love. He's saying in verse five, look how far that you've drifted. Look how far you've fallen from My presence, he says, turn back to me and do the works you did at first. And look what he says here. He says, if you don't, like the more that you keep just doing and doing and doing and not making him a priority, he said, the more that you do that, that I will come and I'm going to remove your lampstand from its place among the churches. 
That's God saying, like, just like he said with the, with the people in Haggai, that, that as they drifted and they got distracted from him, he allowed, he allowed them to, to, to go through a season of uncomfortableness and, and things in their life where it seemed like they could never make ends meet. They seemed like, like no matter how hard they worked, there wasn't this production of what they thought would be. And God used that in order to draw them back into his presence and and he's saying right here, I think to you and me today, like, do you feel like you've lost your passion? Do you feel like, like you know that you need to kind of do the church thing, but the desire to do the church thing isn't there anymore? Like, have you lost your joy? Is there, is there no longer a spark in your eye for God and the things of God? And friend, if that's you today, the Holy Spirit of God is here and he's whispering to you the same thing that he said to the crowd in John chapter seven, that any of you who are thirsty, he said, come to me and he said, drink and I will give you rivers of living water. Friend, do you hear him whispering to you today to come, to drink, to be refreshed again? Friend, as a worship team makes their way, if that's you today, how do we grow through the motions? Instead of us just going through the motions and doing the same old, same old, and nothing ever changing, like, how do we grow through the motions? And I think it's this, that we don't just do for God, but we also delight in God. We don't just do, but we delight Psalm 37, chapter four, instructs us to take delight in the Lord. Now watch, look at this. To take delight in the Lord and he will give you your heart's desires, all the things. What does it mean to delight in God? It means to to make him the priority of your life. To make him Lord and Savior. Like many of us in this room, we've, we've accepted Jesus as our Savior, but we've not made him Lord. Like he's our Savior, so you know when we die, we're gonna go to heaven, but he's not our Lord because we're still the ones calling the shots in our life. And to delight in God means that we're going to make him the priority. It means that his heart becomes our heart. God says in Haggai chapter 2, 15, he says, he says, look at what's happening to you. Before you began to lay the foundation of the Lord's temple, when you hope for 20 bushels of crop and you harvest only 10, like reflect back on, on when I wasn't the priority in your life. Reflect back when you were doing all the things for God, but not delighting in God. 
when you expected to draw 50 gallons from the wine press, but you found only 20. God said, I sent blight and mildew and hail to destroy everything that you worked so hard to produce. And even so, you refuse to turn to me. See, he's talking about this invitation to to relationship, this invitation to delight in him. And, And he says in verse 18, think about the 18th day of December, the day when the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid. And he's like, think carefully to that day. And he says in verse 19 that I'm giving you a promise. And I love this part. Now while the seed is still in the barn, before you've done anything with it, that you've not yet harvested your grain and your grapevines, your fig trees, your pomegranates and olive trees have not yet produced their crops. But from this day onward, I will bless you. Friend, God's like, it's like, friend, look at your life doing so much, but you have so little to show for it. All because you keep doing and not delighting. And he says to the people of Israel, think carefully about your actions. And I think he says that because he still wanted them to do, but not because they felt like they had to do, And not because they thought that any of their doing would make them more holy, but instead to do it out of the overflow of their delighting in him. God says, when you do, I will bless you. Friend, on that park bench in Atlanta with a 12th, I am a follower of Christ with a 12th pack. I am doing, doing ministry at youth camps on a park bench with a 12th pack of beer, contemplating whether I want to keep doing this or not. God taught me a valuable lesson that would help me to grow through the motions. He said, Ryan, you will never experience the transformed life until you delight in me as much as you do for me. Until you will delight in me as much as you do for me. Friend, I believe that that's the reminder that God has for us today. And it's the same reminder that he started this entire series with in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. When Jesus said, but seek first the kingdom of God, the doing." 
and his righteousness, the delighting. And all these things will be added unto you. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's message, be sure to share it with your friends and tag us at TransformTLH. Thanks again for listening, and we look forward to seeing your face in the place someday. Have a great week.